Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, happy Mother's Day. It's great to uh, celebrate this. You know, every year it's exciting. And, you know, I, uh, I look for, you know, what is it that I can speak and impart into our lives universally, not just to the moms, but I do think this is a special day. So hopefully you've got some plans with your, your moms and your mom and loves, we like to say. We, we don't have in-laws, we have in-loves at our house. So Alyssa, you're our daughter in love, amen. It, it's just a cool thing. And, and I think it, it just really shows us that, you know, even though we might not be born in the same blood, we're born of the same spirit. And so it's important that we see each other like that. I think that's a big problem, not just with the world, but with the church, is religion has put us into this idea of us and them. And so we see ourselves as on this side and others on that side. And you know, Paul said something interesting. He said that we are all the genos of God. That means offspring. We're all created in his image, but some people just don't see that. Do you realize that the breath of life resides in each and every one of us? I mean, if it didn't, you would be a lump of clay laying on the ground. But some people just haven't awakened to their righteousness yet. Uh, I think it's Peter or Paul that says that awaken to your righteousness. What is righteousness? Right relationship with God. And so while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, the scriptures tell us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. It's interesting that God didn't ask us permission to bring us in the favor. But you can't walk in it unless you believe it. Right? If you don't know you're the offspring of God, you're going to act crazy. Right? You're going to go off and act like someone who's not part of the family. So it's important. Belief is important. But I tell people all the time that you believing doesn't make it true, doesn't make it happen. It just makes it true to you. Does that make sense? And so that's where belief comes in, and it's so important. And I found in my own life, as I work out my salvation, that belief is the key. And with the salvation, if you've been here for any amount of time, you'll know, but I'm going to say it again because maybe it's your first time. Salvation is not just a, a ticket to heaven in the sweet by and by. The word salvation means preservation, safety, healing, wholeness, deliverance, rescue, and how many can use a little of that right here now on earth. And so that's what Jesus came to show us. And so it's important that we see that. But what's so cool about working out the salvation is we are the ones who get to work that out as he unveils as he unveils our heart to see who we are. And then guess who is touched by that? Guess who is reached by that? Those around you. But we've got to see that it's not about us and them. I'm in, you're out. How do you know? Right? And so it's important that we live that. But here on Mother's Day, I want to talk from this idea of women in the ministry of Jesus. Now, I started digging into this, and it's, it's just opened up all kinds of stuff. I'm probably going to have to do a series on this, ladies, because, yeah, wow. Say wow. Say it backwards. And this works today. Say it upside down. Yes, it works. It's one of my dad's jokes. I'll use that as my own. But another subtitle, the, the original title was this, she's got skills to pay the bills. So where are we going with this, Pastor? You're going to see shortly. But I do think that celebrating moms is very important. Moms are the nurturers in life. They are the ones who help us grow and really become the better versions of ourselves. They see that potential that we have locked up inside. You know what's cool about moms? They see past the mistakes and the missteps, don't they? 
And sometimes, yes, moms maybe can be, and even dads, but we're talking about moms today, can be enablers. So we got to be careful of, to not be an enabler to allow them to live a life that's outside of their identity. Does that make sense? But I love that moms have this way of looking past the mistakes and they see that potential that sometimes locked up inside us and we just don't even see it. They're the ones who kiss our boo-boos. They're the ones who bring healing to our scraped elbows and knees, you know. They're the ones that bandage us up and then they put on the, administer the oil or the ointments to make us feel just a little bit better. And I also believe that moms are the ones who minister healing to our broken souls. You know, you come home from school, someone said something about you, uh, they've challenged your identity, and what does mom say? No, 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 honey, you're not stupid, you're smart. No, no, honey, you're actually good at that. And you can get better by practicing. What do moms do? They nurture, they uplift, they encourage, and they exhort. Now, how many know that dads handle things a little bit differently? Have you ever had a kid who, maybe they're playing out in the driveway and they they fall down and and they scrape their knee and the mom's like, oh, honey, and they rush right to him and the boo-boos and the dad's usually like, oh, come on, you know, just walk it off. What are you, a little girl? Of course, your daughter's like, yes. But see, dads have a different way of handling things. And I think we need both sides. I do think that men sometimes need to get in touch with the feminine side and, and, and find out you know, that nurturing is okay. But we're talking about moms today. And so moms have this way of nurturing. And I think it's amazing. So she's got skills to pay the bills. We're talking about women in the ministry of Jesus. I'm going to look in the Gospel of Luke this morning. And we're going to spend a little bit of time here in Luke, not a ton of time, because I know we've got reservations and things to do, but a little time here in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. If you want to follow along, you can do so on the screens right behind me, here on either side. You pick your side. If you're sitting on the right, you can actually look to the left, wherever you want. But if you want to actually look down at your mobile phone or device or tablet, we actually put these right on the YouVersion Bible app. So if you were to open that app, go down to the More tab, select Events, you would see Face City, Michigan campus right at the top. You can follow along. You can put your own notes in there and save it for further reference. So I encourage you to do that. But today I want to start in Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. Say, women, in the ministry of Jesus... We're going to rock your world a little bit today. And like I said, I've been digging some stuff up. It's good. Verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Verse 39. She had a sister called Mary. Now catch this right here. This phrase is important. Who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Sometimes we have a tendency to read over scripture And I want us to fly just a little bit lower today. I want us to dig in just a little bit deeper and see what is it that Luke is trying to tell us here in his gospel. I'll read it again. She had a sister called Mary, say Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? And then look what he said, or what she says to him. Tell her to help me. You see the exclamation point there? Wow. I'm not going to make you say it, but wow. 
I mean, the way that she's referring to Jesus, there must have been some type of relationship here. And, and actually there was. Mary and Martha were the sisters of Lazarus. How many know who Lazarus was? That was the, the brother. Brother was raised from the dead by Jesus. So Jesus actually had a pretty close, intimate relationship. And he would come over. How many know when you go to someone's house and you're just chilling out and they're making dinner for you, there must be some type of relationship going on. And so Martha actually thought she could address Jesus like this. I believe that they had some inkling that he was the Messiah, that he was the, the, the chosen one, the one that was prophesied. But, but look at this relationship she had. Verse 41, he says, Martha, Martha, Martha. I just dated myself there back to the Brady Bunch days. It's not Marsha, right? It says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Listen to what he says. Mary has chosen what is better. And I love that he says this, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen what was better. Now, for a minute, I just want to talk about this because, you know, I've heard this in the past and, and, and thought, wow, you know, Martha, you just, you're so busy, work, work, work. And, and especially maybe in the grace camp, we've used this idea to say, just stop working and rest. And I think there's something to that. And maybe this is my own opinion, but, but what I'm seeing here is Jesus isn't challenging Martha in what she's doing. He's not saying, Martha, why are you serving me? How, you know, even here in Faith City, there's some people, when I first came on board as pastor, uh, there were some people who wanted to serve us as the pastors. They wanted to carry our bags. They wanted to put stuff in our car. They wanted to start cars. And I remember this at first, I was like, no, 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 you don't have to do that. You, you don't have, remember this, Keith? Remember when you yelled at me? Yeah. Keith doesn't yell, right? We're getting to that part of the story. But, you know, I, I remember I would just say, listen, guys, I don't need this. this it's, not, it's not a big deal. And I probably was still trying to come into this idea of being a pastor. And I understand that there's respect at that position. I get that. But, but what I was doing was there were people who they have a gift of ministering and serving. And I was telling them to stop, basically, because of my own internal issues. And Keith, who's like the most gentle guy ever, comes up one day and goes, pastor. And I'm like, what? Whoa. Whoa. I almost had a heart attack. Thanks, Keith. He says, we want to do this. And so the Holy Spirit used Keith's mighty voice <laughs> to say, we want to do this. See, some people have what we would call a servant's heart. Now, I know usually when someone says, oh, you have a servant's heart, the next line usually out of their mouth is, will you go stack some chairs? I get that. But some people actually literally have this gifting to serve and to be a host or a hostess, and it fulfills them. But see, for Mary, Mary found fulfillment sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him. And so I don't believe that Jesus is saying one's right and one's wrong. I believe when he says she has made the better choice, she has made the better choice for herself. See, Martha wanted to say, especially in their culture, you got to understand, we're going to talk about that. In Jewish culture at this time, as a lady, you were expected to be the hostess. You were expected to serve. That's what you did. And so this was way out of character. So I think it's important to see here, and I don't want us to miss this here in Luke, is we find out how Jesus felt about Jewish attitudes concerning women and their place. Yes, that's air quotes, their place in society their place in culture, their place in religion. Here, quite clearly, we see a study in contrast. Two different people with two different gifts and two different callings. Martha takes on the role of this traditional Jewish hostess. Guess what? Nothing wrong with that. 
But Mary, on the other hand, represents the attentive, listen to this, disciple. I lose anyone there? The attentive disciple. If you look at verse 39, it says that she was sitting at his feet. This idea of sitting at feet is used often as a technical phrase for someone who is a disciple. Mary was a disciple of Jesus. I mean, see how we can fly a little lower and we dig a little deeper and we see something different than maybe what we've seen before? I I really believe that's the meaning here. When Martha becomes irritated with Mary's failure to help in the kitchen, to be this proper Jewish hostess, and even berates Jesus because he didn't do something about it, I believe the story here takes a rather surprising turn. Because, think about this, Jesus does not relegate Mary to the hospitality committee. Mary, Martha's right, you need to be in the kitchen. Make me some more hors d'oeuvres, please. I need another glass of wine, please. He never says that, but rather he suggests that Mary has chosen the better way for herself, which, by the way, will not be taken from her. Are you following along on this? Now, this is going to be a really sweet message because it's Mother's Day. When we get into the series, I'm going to challenge some thoughts and some ideas about women, women in ministry. It's pretty quiet in this Presbyterian church. But I think that, that everything that we see in Scripture, we need to see through the lens of Jesus. Now, some of you, I know you're already going to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I know. But there's some things in there that are going to blow your mind because in the Koine Greek, completely different words. But that's for another day. Today's Mother's Day, and it's really sweet, and it's beautiful, and it's peaceful. And we're not going to ruffle any feathers. But I want us to see that she's got skills to pay the bills. We're going to get to that. And that women in ministry, Jesus considered that something that was okay. In other words, she has a right to be Jesus' disciple and she isn't expected to be the hostess. Are you following this? This The ladies are saying, yeah. The dudes are like, come on, man. Woman, submit. Yeah. You don't know how that scripture is being quoted either if you look in the original. So we'll get to that another day. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Pastor, you just trying to get on the good side of the women? Of course I am. But see, Jesus was on the good side of both men and women. And I believe that this is in line with Jesus' teaching elsewhere, that nothing has a greater priority than following Jesus, following his way, following the kingdom way. My way is the best way, he says. Isn't it cool he doesn't say my way or the highway? He just says my way is the best way. Will you believe Will you walk in this? But its application to women would have been seen as totally unacceptable in Jewish circles. And here we have again Jesus challenging this premise. Now if we look at Luke chapter 8, do you know that Jesus had women who would travel with him? Here in Luke chapter 8 verse 1, let's start here. It says, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to the other. How many know Jesus traveled? Proclaiming what? The good news of the kingdom of God. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 2. And also some woman who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. What this is saying is Jesus is traveling. He's traveling with many people, including, not excluding, women. It's right here, right? Luke wants us to see it. Look at this. One lady's name was Mary, called Magdalene. You ever heard of her? From whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Huza, say Huza. We say Huza because we're not Jewish. It looks like Chusa, right, son? 
C-H-U-Z-A, but it's Chuza, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. Now catch this, I want you to hear this. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. The NIV says it like this. They provided financial support for Jesus and his disciples. Come on, ladies, you got to get one amen out of that. The ministry of Jesus was being supported by women out of their own means. (laughs) I don't know if this blows your mind a little bit, but see how when we fly a little bit closer and we dig a little bit deeper, we can see this difference? I mean, these women had fascinating stories like Mary Magdalene who had been previously possessed by seven demons. Someone counted. Can you imagine being at that exorcism? It's like one, two, three. Okay, I knew the lady was crazy, but my God, four. I mean, someone counted seven Demons, can you imagine her perspective on things when she came back to right mind, back to sanity? And she's following Jesus because of this impact, this transformation that Jesus brought to her life. You can kind of feel Luke's agenda by including a line like that, can't you? He wants you to see what Jesus was about. He wants you to see what Jesus is doing, the kind of people that he attracted, the kind of people his message is for. And then there's Joanna. Who's Joanna again? Oh yeah, she's the wife of Huza. Say it again, Huza. Now who is Huza? The manager of Herod's household. Now, now, if you're not familiar with history, I want to talk to you about this, because this right here, this is a bomb that's dropped right in the middle of this, this paragraph. Because Joanna, who is the wife of Huza, who manages Herod's household, this is a big deal. So a little background. Uh, Herod the Great was the king of Israel who died around the year four. He was this very supreme figure who dominated as king for about 40 years. He built a massive palace, actually palaces, plural, theaters, fortresses. He was known for killing lots of people, including his wife and some of his sons. Pretty cool guy, huh? In fact, Herod the Great was the same Herod that ordered the execution of all children to and under when Jesus was born. Same Herod. So when, no, I said the same Herod, but you can say Herod. Honey, look, you're just so submissive. (laughs) You love me, baby. You love me because I first loved you. Okay, so... (laughs) So when Herod died, Rome decided... Now, we got to remember this, that at this time, Israel was under Roman occupation. How many are familiar with that? And so when, when he died, Rome decided to divide his kingdom among his sons. So his son Philip got the east... Herod Antipas got Galilee, and Archelaus got Judea, which included Jerusalem. Now, Archelaus' rule was really short-lived. He didn't live up to what he was supposed to do, and ultimately was replaced by a Roman governor named Pilate. Yes, the same Pilate that sentenced Jesus to death on a cross. Now, Philip also, who had the east, he faded away quickly. Apparently, he didn't put a lot of training into his sons. And Herod Antipas was given Galilee, where Jesus was born and raised. So when Jesus came on the scene, Herod Antipas was the ruler of Galilee. Now, Herod was extremely wealthy. I mean, this guy had 
more money than all of us put together. He was a rich, rich ruler. He owned lots of land. He had palaces and guards and servants. He had a massive household, the biggest in the country. And who managed the king's household? Huza. Someone's following along this morning. So Huza would have been responsible for a massive amount of wealth which in turn would have brought him a massive amount of wealth. Are you following me here? He shares this wealth with his wife, whose name is Joanna, who's traveling with this rabbi, and she's paying the bills. She's got skills to pay the bills. This, to me, just rocks my world. I'm thinking, the ministry of Jesus what he was able to do and say and where he was able to go and minister was because of these women. That's huge to me. This shows me that Jesus is okay with women being part of his tribe. Now let's pause for a moment and let that settle in. Joanna would have been the elite. Her husband is second only to King Herod, she would have been able to participate in all the royal things. I mean, it's lavish banquets with singers and dancers. That's beautiful homes scattered all around the country. That's the best clothing. That's the best art. That's the best food. A life that she apparently doesn't find that interesting because she's sharing a room at the local Holiday Inn Express with Mary, who, by the way, had seven demons. She wasn't in the lavish five-star hotel, most likely. Not only that, she shared a table with these disciples, these, these fishermen, most likely teenagers to early 20s. But she would, she would go around and itinerate with Jesus. She would see him healing the sick, driving out demons, feeding the poor, she would see all these miraculous things that he would do. She would see him delivering people. There was something captivating about Jesus to her because all of her, her food and art and dancing and wealth, it must have not mattered as much as this Jesus. He's doing something that captivates my heart. And not only that, Jesus allows her and even gives her the right to be called a disciple in his ministry. Are you seeing this? Come on, ladies. That's why, let me just, here's my little opinion. You don't have to agree with me. That's why I find it absolutely ridiculous when religion tries to push women to the side or even worse, push them down beneath the male-dominated landscape. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to incite some political agenda. Yeah, I was talking to my son just the other day about this, about feminism. And, you know, the, the first wave of feminism, I think there were some... The first wave is usually a little more peaceful. You know, we're up to like the third wave now, and it's gotten pretty nasty. But I'm telling you, it didn't just, it wasn't like one day women woke up and said, hey, um, I just figured something out. We hate men. It's not like that happened. This has been like centuries. Whenever a culture, whenever a people group is pushed down and held down, eventually kickback happens. And it's usually out of anger and spite and retribution, and it's really, really ugly. But I think the reason or the reasons behind the feminist movement, 
I'm not saying I'm a feminist. I'm just saying it came from this idea of being pushed down over and over for centuries and centuries. It happened here in the society of Jesus, patriarchal society. I mean, Jesus was causing some waves here. He was saying women are okay to travel with me. Women are okay to pay my bills. Women are okay to be my disciples. Are you following me here? And so I think if we are the voice of God to this world, if we are the body of Christ to this world, then why will we continue to push women down who have God-given talents and gifts that we need? And we reserve this pulpit Oh, you can work with the kids and you can change diapers and we might let you sing, but you certainly can't preach. Are you kidding me? I've heard some amazing messages from women. And I'm not saying this to get on anyone's good side. I'm saying this because this is how Jesus saw women. There was no difference between women and men. He was challenging this patriarchal division at the root and he was saying, it's not right. So continuing this idea of Herod's kingdom versus Jesus' kingdom. How many know Herod had a kingdom? How many know Jesus came and preached another kingdom, a different kingdom? Look at this in Luke chapter 13, verse 31. This is interesting. It says, just at that time, some Pharisees approached saying to him, now listen to this, go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. Imagine that. Herod wants to kill you. Well, of course he does. Herod rules the kingdom. And it's absolutely imperative for him that his kingdom remain the only kingdom. But Jesus is going from village to village announcing the arrival of another kingdom, the kingdom of God. Do you see how this is playing out? Sometimes we picture Jesus just floating like two inches off the ground with a a glowing halo. And I want us to see that Jesus was saying and doing things that were completely out of the context of the culture that he lived in. But there was a reason What was he preaching? The kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God must have equality between both men and women. Can I get an amen? Do you follow me here? This is a kingdom, the kingdom of God, that isn't built around the rich oppressing the poor, male oppressing the female. It's not powerful kings who use their military force to keep the weak in submission. It's a kingdom built on unity, nonviolence, and love. It's built on compassion and empathy for those who are suffering. It's a totally different kingdom. And for Herod, any other kingdom than his kingdom is a threat. And so he wants Jesus dead. So the Pharisees come to him and they say, You better get out of town, Jesus. Herod wants to kill you. And what was Jesus' response to the Pharisees telling him that the most powerful man in the nation is trying to kill him? Well, it says, wait, before that, I want to give you a little bit of background, okay? In ancient Jewish culture, if you were to talk about how great and significant a man was, you would refer to him as a lion. See, we call Jesus the lion of Judah, right? The lion, he was a lion. But get this. A man who was a liar, a fake, a phony, or an imposter, he would be called a fox. So how does Jesus respond here in verse 32? He says, go and tell that fox, say, whoa. Do you see what's happening? We were there like, go and tell the fox. Oh, that's cool, the fox. Okay, I'll be whole. 
do you realize what Jesus is saying? Go tell that phony, go tell that fraud. This is what Jesus is saying. Go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I reach my goal. Jesus didn't play around with words. Do you remember when he said, eagles have nests, foxes have dens, but the son of man has nowhere to rest his head? Do you know that the eagles referred to Rome? That was their symbol. And the Herodians were the foxes. It's, I mean, he's saying things that are pretty, pretty politically charged here, but he's calling him a fake. Jesus wants people to know that the kingdom he's announcing isn't like the kingdoms of the Romans or the Herodians. Do you see this? Here's another side note that you might find interesting. There was this little feud, this little contention that was going on between the Herodians and the Pharisees. See, the Herodians were not the rightful heirs to the throne. They took the throne over. And so they wanted to make sure that a Herod was on the throne to rule Israel, where the Pharisees wanted someone from the line of King David. How many remember King David? They wanted someone, and so they hated each other. They despised each other. This caused contention in their relationship. And what's interesting, if you look at the genealogies, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was literally the true heir to the throne, which makes Jesus the Messiah, the true heir to the throne. So there's this contention going on and Jesus calls Herod a fox. You fake, you imposter. In today's we say, you poser. Because I'm the true king. Come on, somebody. Jesus didn't play. So when he shows us the position of women in his ministry, I think we need to take heed. We need to see the truth that men and women are equal. They're together. Together we can accomplish more instead of one pushing down the other. Now, again, I know you can pull out your one scripture in 1 Timothy. We're not going to address that today. I know there's other scriptures about submission, but you don't understand what that true submission means in the Greek, and we'll get to that in another day. But I want us to see something here, that Jesus was okay with women traveling, not only that, being his disciples. Do you see this? Happy Mother's Day. Now, let's connect all the dots as we wrap this up. Herod wants to kill Jesus because Jesus is proclaiming a kingdom other than Herod's, and that makes Jesus a threat. But Jesus is able to travel around announcing this subversive message of a different kingdom than Herod's because there's a group of women who travel with Jesus and pay his bills, including a woman named Joanna, who has lots of money because her husband is the household manager who gets paid by, wait for it, Herod. Herod, in other words, ends up indirectly funding and financing the very resistance movement he's trying to stamp out. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) See, some people are like, ah, the Bible's boring. Not if you know how to read it. There's so many cool things in the scriptures. If we could just take some time and we could pull it out. But see, we just like to do a flat reading of the Bible. And the next thing you know, we're pushing people groups down. You know that wars have been started in the name of the Bible? But Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you or persecute you. Who do you believe? Jesus, I like that answer. 
Do you know that slavery and racism has been condoned according to people by the Bible? But how many know Jesus wasn't racist? How many know Jesus didn't have slaves? In fact, Jesus said this. He says, I did not come here to be served, but I came here to serve you. See, the kingdom's different. And so this was a threat to Herod's kingdom. Are you picking up on this? I just think this is awesome. That's just a few words in a paragraph in the eighth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. It never ends when you study the Bible. But see, sometimes we do these flat readings. And so today I want us to see how Jesus viewed women in his ministry and that women aren't lesser than man. In fact, if we look at what the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3, let's turn over there. Galatians chapter 3. Because Jesus loved women. He, he had the, the same love for both men and women to be part of his ministry. In fact, for both of them to be his followers, a.k.a. his disciples. And so I want women this morning and all those who maybe hear this message to be empowered by what you've heard today. To realize that Jesus is no respecter of persons. And guess what? That includes genders. You have gifts and callings that are needed and necessary. We need them. Do not allow your gender to disqualify you from what God has called you to do. If there's nothing else you pick up this morning, ladies, do not let your gender disqualify you from what God has called you to do. See, the Apostle Paul says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Nothing resembles your previous identity as Jew or Gentile, bond or free, listen to this, male or female, billabong or Gucci, I love this translation. Now you are all defined in oneness with Christ. Now listen to this last sentence. He is your significance and makes you beautiful. Every lady here, say this, I'm significant. Every man here, say this, I'm significant. Now together, let's say we're significant. Happy Mother's Day, ladies. There's so much richness in this, and I think that this is one of those subjects that, sure, I mean, if, if you've been in a, a denomination, and, you know, I was at a conference, and, and someone said this, I like this, I'm going to stop calling us non-denominational, I'm going to call us interdenominational, because we have people here from Catholic backgrounds, Baptist backgrounds, Presbyterian, I mean, there, there's just so many backgrounds, we're interdenominational, because... Listen, there's not, I know that denominational-wise, there's like 40,000 Jesuses, but there's really only one Jesus. And so we do our best here to, I don't want to be denominational on this. I want to be Jesus-a-national. Is that a word? I want to follow Jesus. What does he say about women? What does he say about racism? What does he say about war? What does he say about gossip and anger and retribution? What does Jesus say? Because so many times we get caught up in whatever side of the, the aisle that we, that we stay on. We, we get caught up on gay and straight and Republican and Democrat and all these things. And what I'm saying is the kingdom wrote is saying, listen, everyone's welcome. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to work on people's hearts in these areas. But where's the unity? Uh, yeah, where's the love? That's why it's missing. That's why there's no unity. Because, you know, friendship... Let me say it this way. Friendship shouldn't be dependent upon agreement. Right? 
I mean, if someone's only a friend to you because you agree with them, which I've had friends like that, which I found out later, they're not really my friends. We happen to agree on things, and so we have something in common. But listen, if that's true, then my wife and I probably would have got divorced like 18 years ago. Because I know we look like we're perfect and agree on everything, but we don't. Just yesterday, we had disagreement. But we're still here today. We're still friends. I consider her my best friend. Sorry, Pete, but she's my best friend. You're my best male friend, Pete. Friendship should not be built on whether we agree or not. And we should be able to agree to disagree. Now, I get it. I follow Jesus. And I believe that Jesus is the center of this whole thing we call Christianity. Okay? And, you know, I have friends who are atheists. And you know what? I let them be atheists. I have friends who are both gay and straight, and I let them be gay and straight. I'm just being honest with you. I have friends who are Republicans. I have friends who are Democrats and friends who are independents. And guess what? They're my friends. We might just not talk about politics because I'm probably going to irritate you a little bit. What I'm saying is, why can't we just have friendships with people where they are and let God work all that out? Well, pastor, don't you, don't you call out sin? Don't you tell people when they're sinful? Not a whole lot. I don't. Uh, yeah, people know when they're screwing up, when they're messing up. Listen, for me to just tell them, hey, guess what? This is who you are is wrong because who they are is actually who Christ sees them to be. But you know when I challenge somebody? When I have a relationship with them. This is something that I think is key. See, our intentions are right. When we see someone going off the rails, our intention is to say, hey, buddy, listen. Hey, lady, listen, this is not helping you. This is not good for your marriage and your life and your work and your job and your kids, and I get that. But if you don't have a relationship with them, they're not going to understand your heart. I just talked about this the other day in my vlog, and I said, the only way you can speak to someone's heart is if you have relationship with them. But you only can have relationship with somebody if you spend time with them and get to know them. So we have people who say, don't hang out with those kind of people. Hold up your picket signs, get on the social media, and give them a piece of your mind. Some of you have given so many pieces of your mind, you don't have any mind left. <laughs> if you're mad at me, talk to me later. We'll forgive each other and move on. But, but seriously, like, we have no relationship with people. And so you have people who have great intentions, but they're over here. They have never spent one day in this person's shoes. They don't know their life story. They know nothing about them. And, but, but they sit from the distance and they say, you're a dirty, rotten, filthy worm and God can't stand you, which by the way is not the gospel. Just so you know, God reconciled all of us to himself on the cross. It's a done deal, but they don't believe it yet. So what if you were to, through love and relationship, get to know that person, actually empathize with where they are and let the Spirit speak into their heart. So I have friends who, they know me and I know them, and I've come to them or they've come to me on occasion, and say, dude, listen, what you're doing is ridiculous. What you're doing is not helping you. What you're you may lose your wife. You may lose relationship with your, your friends or with your children. You may lose your job. See, they know my heart. So even though it's hard to take, because how many, how many love to be corrected? Isn't it fun? Nobody likes to be corrected, but man, when it comes from someone who knows my heart and I know their heart, it's so different because I'm like, you know what? I don't want to talk to you anymore right now 
But as I walk away, I'm like, they know me, they love me, they care for me. And they see something that I'm not seeing. They see the blind spots. That's my next vlog I'm working on, blind spots. You ever went to change lanes and you didn't look in your blind spot? And it's like, whoa, 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 right? We all have blind spots in life. There's things that we don't see in ourselves. And it takes people who know us relationally, that we know love us, to speak to those blind spots and say, you've got areas you're just not seeing. I need that. You need that. And so I do think that this issue with, with patriarchy and pushing women down is a blind spot that the church has had far too long. And so I think it's time that we follow Jesus and what Jesus has to say about it. Even if it's tough at first, we decide, Jesus, I trust you. I believe you. I'm going to follow your example. Think about this. When we say we're followers of Jesus, that means that we want to be like him. We want to speak like he speaks. We want to love like he loves. We want to walk like he walks. And guess what? There's times we'll mess up in that. But I think this is important to see. She's got skills to pay the bills. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.